All right, all right, all right. Am I just going to really start this podcast off by saying all right like Matthew McConaughey every time? I don't know. Are you? I mean, <laughs> I could I could start it off by saying something like, howdy, y'all. It's the Brown Not Black podcast. But I, why would I say that? Because I'm not from the American South. You better You are now rocking with the Brown Not Black podcast right here on Anchor. Again, you've got your two hosts here. I go by the name of Nick. And it is I, Harrison. Huzzah. Harrison, I hope you had a good week. My week is going all right. I wanted to get into something with you today. What do you what do you think's a good topic for us to talk about today? I think we owe it to ourselves to talk about our heritage and culture as Caribbean people, specifically Guyanese American people. As an early episode, getting into what our heritage is can give a great explanation for the significant differences that we culturally have compared to average American peoples. Yeah. It's episode three, and these people still have no idea who the hell we are, so we might yeah, as well start. No, exactly. And to be fair, it's a tiny little place. Not that many people I ever meet in my life have known about the country that I came from. So I think we owe it to ourselves to make this episode. And after I cover that, I do want to dive into like a more hard-hitting topic that is like, why, why do people judge people as soon as they see them? What's that about? I think I have the answer. Oh, damn. But anyway. You want to just dismantle systemic racism head on, huh? That is exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Did you hear I have a podcast about this? <laughs> All right. Without, like, getting into it too much. What is Guyana? Where the hell is it? What's the deal with it? What are our cultural values? I don't want to make this sound like a social studies class or anything, but some context is useful. Guyana used to be a British colony a long time ago. Not that long ago. They got their independence in the 90s. The 1990s? Yeah, the 1990s. They were like, you, you know how like Canada is owned by Britain? Not owned by them, but they got, they're like the landlord kind of situation. Yeah. It was that same jazz, basically. Again, I'm not, I'm not here to lay down a history class, but it was a similar biz. I had no idea. Uh, no, we're, it was a commonwealth. A commonwealth is the technical term. Huh. But n now they're not anymore. They are a constitutional republic. They're independent. The population of this country is, based on a 2018 estimate, 786,000. That's not that much. But the total land mass of Guyana is 83,000 square miles, which is like 214,000 kilometers squared. Harrison, to interject, I actually have something very interesting. The first time that I ever saw Guyana mentioned in any sort of mainstream publication was in, I want to say, it was in the Guinness Book of World Records 2008 or 2009, which everyone had oh, yeah. the hardcover, neon green reflective cover, you know, that stuff. I got it at a Scholastic Book Fair. In eighth grade. Not the Scholastic Book Fair. Hell yeah, the Scholastic <laughs> Book Fair. I learned more there than I did in actual social studies. I class. never learned nothing. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so I'm going through this. I bought this book, $8 or something like that. I go home. I start looking through it. I was super into astronomy and everything like that. So I'm looking up you know, things along those lines. I get to the section about countries. 
and things like that. I'm not really expecting anything. I'm leaving through it. All of a sudden, I do actually see Guyana in there as holding the Guinness World Record for largest undiscovered or unexplored land relative to size. Yeah, I would completely believe that because that is another piece of fact about Guyana. It's uh, largely consists of the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest and Amazon River Basin take up a lot of the land mass of that country. Most of the population is concentrated by the coast, and that's where the capital is and whatnot. Because remember, this country was part of the triangular trade for slaves and sugarcane and rum for the British, the Dutch, the Portuguese. So it just makes sense that it's largely unexplored. There's so much dangerous wildlife and whatnot. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not even the wildlife. It's the indigenous tribes that don't want you on their land. That too. There's a lot of indigenous peoples who live in those unexplored parts. For the most part, people don't go there unless they're natives or they have like a very specific reason to be exploring out there, I guess. Those are people who live life undisturbed in a very with nature state where they're hunting mm. to survive they're utilizing all of the resources in the in nature to survive think of it like the native american peoples of the united states of america before they were uh slaughtered and raped raped and diseased massacred by disease yeah and then forced out of their living spaces a anyway what i'm really trying to get at here is the country that our heritage comes from is small there's a lot of nature but that's for the native peoples. Our parents were not the native peoples. They lived in the developed capitals and other developed towns there. Our culture is like a little bit different. There's some more influences from the outside. Specifically in Guyana, there's cultural influence from each of the ethnic groups, which include, and I'm literally reading this off of a list on Wikipedia because it's too many for me to just dedicate to memory. I'm very curious myself. Shout out Wikipedia. Shout out to Wikipedia. Please donate. We do not want to lose that. The ethnic groups of Guyana consist of Indian, African, indigenous, obviously, and then a small but prominent population of Chinese and Portuguese people. The main religions of the country are hmm. Christianity. More than half of the people there follow Christianity. And a sizable part of the population follows Hinduism. So wow. it is, in a way, a diverse area. You could almost think of it as how America has some random diversity going on in pockets of the country. And that is accredited to the fact that it was a colony of the British. They do what they usually do, and they stick a bunch of people that they collected from around the globe in one of their colonies to run stuff. That's very interesting, because the last two ethnicities that you just mentioned, actually, just described my father. He is of, if you go way back, Chinese descent, as well as Portuguese descent. Yeah. And there's some other stuff mixed in there as well, but... If you were to look at my father, you would not expect him to, how do I say this, originate from a country that is very close to the equator. He does not have a lot of, of melanin or any in his body. This, is, this isn't me being derogatory. He just looks red. Like, I don't, I yeah. don't know how else to say that. He literally has a, a shade of red. He gets, you know, when you go out drinking and you have someone there with you who's asian and they get this thing called the, the asian glow the, the flush yes i've seen that in action a lot that's funny <laughs> my dad suffers from that <laughs> it's hilarious and to an extent 
because he does, so do I. But since I have darker skin, no one ever really notices. But if I, you know, when you, you get very, very drunk all the time and you go into the club bathroom, you look at the mirror for the first time. You're like, huh? <laughs> I did that once and I noticed, I was like, I look way more tan than I did three hours ago. Damn, I don't think I've ever noticed that. And we have been out drinking like very frequently over the course of our lives. That's crazy. I would challenge you to name four of those times. I plead the fifth. <laughs> That's crazy, though. That leads me into my next point. The cultural values of our country are heavily centered around like food, music, and gathering. And I'm just gonna like straight up partying and celebrating. I feel mm. like that's so close to our culture that it's ubiquitous. Without it, we just are not Guyanese people. I don't know a single Guyanese or Caribbean person who does not share memories of just gathering around in the summertime eating from a huge pot of cook-up or curry and just yep. drinking and dancing. Like, essential, quintessential to our culture. Here's a distinction, Harrison, that you and I actually made. I think it was at, maybe at your house. But Guyanese people, every time someone passes in the family or there's a funeral, the gathering afterwards is one of the most legendary parties we've ever had as a family. It absolutely is. It's always the most fun family parties. And I asked my dad one day driving home. My brother was driving home. Everyone else was drunk. I was like, dad, <laughs> why are we, why did we just have so much fun? Even though, you know, blank passed away. He's just said, you know, like, we just like to celebrate. We like to celebrate life. Absolutely. That's what we do. That's really what we do. That's a huge facet of our culture too. That is different from other people's cultures. When someone passes, it is tradition that you honor them in the ways that are common around the world, such as you gather, maybe you look at a casket and you think about it, you say some good things about that person, you reflect on the, the memories. Yeah, the traditional funeral, the wake, all of that. And then we have something called a repass, where, like you said, we just gather around and we throw offensively large party. And you end up, I think this is part of the tradition where you just, you end up cooking or eating the things that the person who passed really liked yep. or something they were known for making just to honor them in that sense. And then usually people will like say some, like have a speech or whatnot. You'll play music that they liked, but it is mandatory that you celebrate and have a good time and enjoy yourself because it's like what they would have wanted. Exactly. That being said, the day I pass will probably be the most ridiculous celebration with far too much alcohol. Anything less than that, I will return from beyond and haunt everybody <laughs> I know, if not everyone is blacked out by the end of my funeral. I don't think either of us are living that long if either of our parents hear our podcast. <laughs> but if I live past you, I I think you could say vice versa. Our funerals are going to be just... Our funerals are going to be lit. lit. No doubt about it, dude. All people throwing up in the funeral home bathroom. Like, that's that's what I, how I want to go out. Right on. Anyways. Anyway. Guyanese culture. <laughs> another piece of our culture that I think many American people might not fully grasp because it's, it's way different is we place a lot of value on the family structure in the sense that you are expected to stay on good or at least talking terms with your family, no matter what terrible things might happen or drive you apart. And it's also expected that you live 
with or close to your family, no matter how old you get. And, you know, that's kind of different how in America it's expected that you move out or you move away, maybe go to a different state, different city, town, whatever, from your family when you reach a certain age. This topic, this topic especially is very interesting to me because I have always felt the need to be close to my family, even though, full disclosure, I'm in love with the country of Japan and as bad as I would want to sp- most likely spend the rest of my life there, I don't see myself being able to be that physically far apart from my family for that long. And it's not because I was going to say, it's not because they rely on me and I rely on them, but you know, in a way we, we still do, you know, whether it be fiscally or it's, it's hard for me to imagine not spending at the very least either Thanksgiving or Christmas with my immediate family members. I can't process that. It's part of our social contract. A social contract is sort of something you just agree upon, you know, to sort of define that. Yeah. It's like a social contract that you just like don't commit crimes and shit like like that. And for like Guyanese people, <laughs> and I would stretch this one and say Caribbean people as a whole, because I've seen this in other Caribbean communities. You just stay close to your family. Like I've heard stories from people about really reprehensible things that their family has done to or around or at them and there's always this part of us that like you said you just feel compelled to do it and i reckon that is our social contract to just never burn down the bridge to always just like maintain the bond uh even if it's just loosely because you can't turn your back on them completely yeah there's value in it your people understand you and family is everything Nah, that just sounded really corny in the moment. I, I don't know. <laughs> Family is everything. Yo, my, if I said that on a podcast that was going national, my dad slapped me upside the head. Hey, Harrison, here's a question to get to kind of get us back on topic. Do Guyanese people always show up late to parties because they know that the host is definitely still cooking and is not ready yet? I have never in my 26 years of life been on time to a family function. And that's on everything. And that's on these leather slippers I got from Guyana in 2012. We just don't show up on time. This is a this is a phenomenon that occurs, I think, in every group of Caribbean peoples. I don't know. You're on Caribbean time. We just kick back. If I tell you I'm going to be somewhere in 15 minutes, expect me in 30. If I say I'm going to be 30 minutes, that's like mm, 45 to 70 minutes. If I say I'm going to be an hour, you might not even see me that night. <laughs> the amount of times you've said you were coming over to my house to swim in, you know, your family's coming over to swim in the pool. Yeah, we'll be there around three. It'll be six o'clock. I'm not even ready for you to show up yet because I know y'all ain't coming until 730. We, we don't show up on time. It's always something, too. It's just like, oh, you know, I got caught up. He didn't want to get ready. Oh, I was cooking this thing. Like, oh, my God. And that's part of it. I think that's also a part of our culture that's dear to us. If you got Caribbean friends and they always late to something, don't hold them because that's that's cultural. That's that's not their fault. Hey, yo, don't don't yell at them. Oh, they're they're busy. Just take it easy. They'll they'll be there. Maybe we don't know. They might show up. <laughs> Depends on what's in it for them. <laughs> yo, but if you tell me there's some like fire food being made, like that changes it a little bit. Look, if there's a function where I know. Your Harrison specifically, your mother or your aunt is cooking curry. 
Um, I will show up early. I'll even, shit. I might even volunteer to help out. That's rare. <laughs> I don't set up. <laughs> that's how you learn, though. That's major because that's how you learn how to make these dishes. Because I've asked my mother and my aunties, like, yo, how do you make the curry taste this good? Because Guyanese curry is not like Indian curry too much in the sense that like it's a little bit of a different process comes out with a different consistency but it's delicious i'm obviously biased they will never tell you how they make the curry they will never say it they'll just be like i just do it i asked them like yo how much of that did you put in how much of the powder did you put in how much of the masala did you put in They're like yo i don't measure this i just grab it mm-hmm. and you just have to watch them and start approximating and, and when you volunteer to help This is just straight up good life advice at this point. This isn't me giving cultural notes. Volunteer to help somebody. If you help someone in the kitchen, or maybe just with anything really, you'll learn a lot about how to do something the right way or the wrong way maybe, and how someone else does it. In addition to that, if you help out, if you volunteer to help cook, you don't have to do the dishes. That's my two cents. That's very true. Uh, You would have me all kinds of messed up. You'd have me messed up eight ways to Sunday if I helped you cook and then you told me to do the dishes. I'd be like, yo, this is, that's the last time you got me. And one more thing is like the music. I feel like I touched on this last episode, but music is always essential. If it's not a function, if there is not music playing on the speakers very loudly. It's usually reggae music, sometimes soca, dance hall, Afro beats. Also, listen, if you're American, you just need to know this. It's reggae music. Reggae. Not reggae. Please. I I don't want to hear anyone say <laughs> reggae to me. No. That's not how you pronounce it. I ain't talking about Ray J or Ray is gay, which is fine if he is. That's okay. I support that. Love the LGBTQ community. But it's reggae, not reggae. I don't know. I actually don't know the origin of the word, which doesn't give me a lot of backbone, but... It's just pronounced reggae, not reggae. Anyway, that was my bone to pick on that jazz. Topical transition. Harrison, I wanted to actually go back. Something that we just touched upon was how everyone in our culture is consistently late. And I'm sure it's affected you as a child, but it affected me as a child in one of the biggest ways. And it's almost being a first generation American, like a, it's like a generational curse, something that you know, getting to this topic of what set us apart as children of immigrants, as opposed to all of our, you know, American friends, American friends from, you know, traditional American families, etc. Yeah, I, I feel that like heavily. You say generational curses. I feel like I preach that from the mountaintops a lot. People are products of their environment, right? And to a certain extent, you have inherent nature that dictates how you behave and like who you are your personality as it were you don't always have to completely abide by what influences you were fed and shown in your youth i don't have to abide by every single cultural aspect i was given as a caribbean american like i try not to be late all the time because I don't want to <laughs> purport a stereotype or anything. But that's just, that's on me. Like, I choose to be that way. I could just roll with it and just be late all the time. I was late to so many functions, not family functions, but say, you know, fifth grade, one of my friends was throwing a laser tag party or something like that. I was consistently late yeah. to any significant 
or what I had thought was a significant event in my childhood. Yeah. Always. I feel that. And that has now resulted in me as an adult always being as punctual as possible and honestly even getting annoyed at people when they are consistently late as well. Well, to like get into a psychology sort of viewpoint because in your earlier life because <laughs> we're late all the time as Caribbean people, you saw that as a normal like normalized behavior and you learned that behavior because it was so normalized. You were just like, well, Everybody else around me in my tribe is late all the time, so I don't see an issue with being late to stuff all the time. You would probably process it like if someone told me to be somewhere at 5 o'clock, you would just be like, oh, I'll just roll in at like 5.45 and I'll be fine. That doesn't work. That's not how you should be. That's interesting because it kind of contradicted what I just said, but at the same time, I do agree with it. So I do like to be punctual. However, (laughs) I'll use you as an example. Someone that you told me to show up somewhere at five, I wouldn't show up at five. I'd start getting ready at five. You'd be there at like seven, maybe eight. Yeah. And I would be fine with it. I'd be like, yo, it's just Nick. Like, (laughs) it's like a job interview or something like that. I'm there three hours early, (laughs) honestly. Yo, you show up to a job interview 45 minutes late, you're not getting (laughs) hello. (laughs) But then I think the reason why I'm not your therapist and I am not a licensed psychologist, but I have like three quarters of a degree. I think the reason why. (laughs) you are hella punctual now is because you lived so long in your life with that normal behavior and eventually over time you began to realize wait a minute nobody except the people in my insular group are is okay with being late all the time and you saw the social ramifications of being late to everything and you developed this complex or corrected your behavior i should say and now you know how to behave you know which to use a Guyanese proverb a monkey knows which limbs to jump on you know which tree you can hang from wow yeah i mean it only takes one time to be late to a laser tag party yeah because i got there late and my gun didn't work because i got the last gun oh that sucks that's funny that you say that because one time when i was in middle school full disclosure i had like no friends in my youth because i was a weirdo and (laughs) and like i liked like nerd stuff like i liked anime I liked anime in the early 2000s, which, if you know what that's like, you were a social outcast. Anime was not cool in the early 2000s. People would be like, you watch those Chinese cartoons? Like, yo, first of all, they're from Japan, and it's art. It's not, it's not a cartoon, mom. It's not a cartoon, mom. So I got invited to go watch a, like, superhero movie or something with, like, two of the, like, three friends I had in my young life. And I was like, damn, I've never been invited to anything ever. So I'm mad hype. I get home from school. I figure, all right, let me take a nap or something. So I got some, like, energy later in the day. Movie starts at, like, maybe 5 or 6 or something. I go to sleep. My ass wakes up at, like, maybe 8 p.m. to, like, three <laughs> missed calls. <laughs> I was heartbroken. I was like, damn it. Why am I so lazy? I beat myself up over it. It's crazy that I'm even talking about it right now. That proves that I'm I'm still upset about that. But anyway, we're not talking about our poor decisions in our youth. We're talking about breaking generational curses. Specifically for Caribbean people, when I think about the generational curses that we have to break, two of the biggest ones for me, and I'm really just not ashamed to say this or share this at all, 
and I don't mean it to any offense whatsoever. The first one is I want to break the generational curse of maintaining a certain bravado-centric and false image of masculinity. I think that it is harmful to not only the individual, it is harmful to the culture as a whole to believe that masculinity only represents itself in certain qualities and rather than the substance of one's character. If you know me, I I look kind of androgynous. I've been told that at least. I don't necessarily see it, but I could I can entertain the thought. I'm not very bulky. Like I have good muscle definition, but I'm I'm like a twig. I'm scrawny. I'm, I'm a skinny dude, and I have long hair, and my eyes are beautiful. My shit is luscious. My hair looks great. <laughs> I got bullied a lot for not looking like what other males looked like in my youth. It is kind of common in Caribbean cultures to just be like, men have to be this way. Men have to behave this way. There's stereotypes about like being just like a chauvinist, mistreating others, behaviors that are heavily inclined towards vices. And, you know, if you want to behave that way, you're free to choose to do so. But at least me personally... I'm not afraid to just dress however the hell I want. I'm not afraid to throw on some eyeliner if I feel like it. Like, I'm, I grew up, like, emo and goth. Like, I, I express myself in these Alt. ways. Alt. Yes, I'm very, I'm a very alternative person, as it were. And that's, like, a piece of my American culture. It clashes heavily with the culture that I was born into because they don't accept those ideas. But I'm not afraid to stand up for who I am. Good for you, man. Because I definitely am. Yeah, I, I know you're afraid to, like, but someone's got to do it. Someone <laughs> in this family, in the clan, has to be the black sheep. They have to bear the cross of just, like... It, like, if I do it first, at least somewhere down the line, someone will be like, it's I. Like, you know, he turned out okay. He still comes by the parties. He's, he's fine. But the next thing, that, and this one hits hard because I, I feel like a personal connection to this one as well. Um, the perception of the LGBTQ community in the Caribbean community, is very poor. You talked about this in previous episodes, but a lot of Caribbean people, a generation older than us, just simply don't understand, nor do they want to care to understand the LGBTQ community at all. And I think that comes from a place of, in the home country, people who were gay or transgendered or lesbians were heavily ostracized. So it comes from a place of defensiveness, where if they see those behaviors, they will associate it with being ostracized, and that will lead to, like, what's perceived as, like, failure. So they, they persecute that a lot, and I disagree with it heavily because... I think it's tied to the heavy religious beliefs. Everyone I know who came from Guyana, and my parents included, were very deep into the church the catholic church specifically if you know the catholic church they are not very tolerant of lgbtq identities in any regard yeah exactly i think religion does attribute to some of that persecution as well if you really think about it america is one of the few places in the world that actually tolerates and does something and gives some type of representation to that community of people Growing up and in my adult life now, I have had and continue to have many friends who are members of this community. 
and I think they're great people. I don't have any issue with them, and I think they're valid. That's why when I see people being, like, showing phobias of these communities, I'll, tr I'll try to call it out and just be like, you know, there is a human behind that identity. Their entire person is not just because they're gay or something, and that's yeah. not a reason to hate them, like, at all. I think our parents, our culture, it is part of this intolerance is due to the fact that I don't think they have any gay friends <laughs> or, or any trans friends or anything like that. Maybe just like chat up a, a gay person or something. They, they're pretty funny. It's a lot of like self-loathing jokes. It's, it's a good time. But I do think it comes from a point of lack of perspective and lack of education about the topic. I've tried to educate some older members of the family about it. And it usually doesn't get too far, but I think that's where we come in and we just break the generational curse and be like, listen, if you want to do that, that's your prerogative. What you want to do with your parts is your business exclusively. I don't care. I mean, I don't, I care. I just, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you, you can't be gay around <laughs> me. Uh, I'm never going to be saying that. And I just think we have to carry the cross on that one and say yeah. like, it's fine. Topical. Yeah. We're going to cut this conversation short in just a second because I have some generational curses of myself. But the funniest thing, one of the funniest things my father's ever done or said was this past summer, I was chilling at my parents' house. We're all sitting in the backyard drinking some beers. And my dad randomly goes, you know, I got to buy, buy me some black spray paint. I was like, what? For why? He looks over at the pool. There is a unicorn tube pool floaty with rainbow hair and rainbow wings. He looks at that and says, I gotta I gotta paint my gay friend there black. Can't be looking what at that. What the fuck? Wait a minute. <laughs> it took a whole minute for that to sink in, and I just started dying laughing. What? He wasn't even facing it. It was the most unprompted thing I've ever heard, but it was fucking No, hilarious. I think that's just his dry humor. But then again, you might yeah. be right, because your, your father <laughs> does have a very dry, like deadpan sense of humor in that sense so like i could see him saying that shit that's something i might say too but in a different context but no no he because he meant it he jokes but he meant that shit if someone makes a joke and you're just like like yo i cry like lgbtq like trans rights all day all night shit right so if i make that joke it's like oh okay well you know where harrison's coming from with this one but if someone who isn't really with it makes that joke, I don't know. <laughs> like, we weren't even talking about anything remotely close to that. It was just, boom. It's like, yeah, yeah, casual homophobia. What? That's another thing. So remember how I was saying your normalized behavior about being late was because everybody around you was late all the time? In a similar sense, if we don't break the cycle, if we don't break the curse of mistreating the LGBTQ community or having like a really toxic image of what masculinity should be, everyone will continue to behave that way and no one will ever learn anything. That's it. That's exactly it. And we need to, as we grow older and start our own independent families, it's very important to pass down these cultural traits that we have. The eating certain foods at certain times of the year, it's you know, the, the celebrations we have, the celebrations of life that we have that we call funerals, you know, thing, those 100% need to be passed on. The homophobia, the <coughs> child abuse, <Whoa>. the, <laughs> <laughs> the, 
a number of other things need to be passed on. You're right. It's that's that's the beauty of us being the next generation is we see what's good and we see what's bad and we can carry the good with us and hopefully leave the bad behind. I only have a few generational curses that I I definitely need to break. So once again, if you know me, you know me. If you don't, I do I am black presenting. I may have some African in me. I really got to do a 23 in me because I just don't know at this point. One of the first things that ever really hit me about my parents of me being, quote unquote, feeling different or or feeling left out, feeling like, oh, none of my friends are like this. Why am I like this? You know, th- anything along those lines that normally happened when I was around predominantly white people, which is fine. There's I'm sure there's a lot of differences there. However, the first time I actually got to high school, it was freshman year. It was our first week. I'll never forget this because the man who said this to me is still one of my best friends to this day. And this is me not fitting in, not not fitting in with white people around me, but with other people of Caribbean descent or, you know, island descent. This friend in particular, he's Haitian and Filipino. So I... I had no idea that I was still even standing out to to these other cultures as well. When I was growing up, my dad would handle everything. I'm talking he'd clip my nails, clean my ears out. Obviously, I was a kid, whatever. One thing that persisted is that my dad would give me haircuts. You know, once every month, once once a week, something like that. It was only when I got to high school that someone was able to point it out to me. The first week of high school... One of my now best friends looked at me and said, damn, nigga, what's up with your hairline? I was like, what? Oh, no. I was like, I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? What's up with my hairline? What hairline? And he's like, yo, your shit looks like a fucking cube, bro. Why you look like that? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's messed up. Not that. Yo, the worst part is, is I was walking the halls alone and he just came up to me. He's like, hey, you know this guy, right? I was like, yeah, I know him. This is my friend. You know, I know this guy, too. He's like, yeah, I'm his best friend the fuck is wrong with your hairline i was like what? oh my like, god that's a vicious attack on your character from a nice friend the fuck is going on here here's the thing i mean i didn't know him then but looking back at it now that's one of the nicest things he ever could have said to me that and he told me never to wear uspa around him which also ended up being a valuable piece of advice this is an important piece about the <laughs> poc community I'm, we don't have time to get into that one but don't wear USPA. don't wear USPA. That's, that's the lesson we'll stop <laughs> but he came to me and said that, and I had no idea that that was the the bigger picture that I'm trying to get at here is that because we are from such a small culture that is you know now moving into the United States in a big way over the past you know three decades, two decades, whatever, we're not only not aware of what culture that our family is moving into for the first time. But America is such a large melting pot that there's so many other cultures out there as well to explore. And I'm so happy that, again, my friend said that to me because now my hair's on point. I met a bunch of friends, <laughs> mostly all Haitian Americans, that, like, you laugh, but, like, I would have never known how to take care of my hair if it was not for them. Yeah, no. And it's because I, I have hair like them. I don't have hair like you, Harrison. Exactly. I don't have hair like my dad. I don't have hair like anyone in my family. I don't know. I don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, but. You got the you got the tar brush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I laughs> as, <did. laughs> as they would say, as Caribbean people are known to say, you got the tar brush in your jeans. I did. You got the rough hair. But, you know, it, it's so interesting because my Haitian American friends, 
they're the ones who taught me like, yo, Nick, like you got nice ass hair, bro. You need a like you got a you got a cop of silky. I was like, what what did you just say to me? Like what is what does that sentence mean? Silk. Cop of silky means I had to buy a do rag and I now sleep in a do rag to protect my luscious locks. That's that's important. And my curly hair. This is such a good aside note because thematically, you're right. There are so many cultures in the United States and they're all so different. And sometimes they clash, and other times they mesh together in a beautiful way that you would never see before that. Uh, in a similar way, until I met people who had hair that was similar to mine when I got a little older, I didn't know what to do with my hair to take care of it. Now I sleep with a silk pillowcase, bro. Like, I gotta keep these locks mm -hmm. luscious. And you gotta con you can only trust certain people with your hair. You have to know who can cut your type of hair. It's yep. like little stuff like that where unity is better than dividing and excluding yourself because you'll learn something from other people. I would like to make something very clear right now for the record, on the record. Stop asking. I will literally never let a white person cut my hair in this lifetime ever again. Nah, can't the happen. The first week I moved to New York, I paid. Well, I didn't pay. My coworker paid for it as a, you know, welcome to New York kind of present cost me $65 for a haircut in Chelsea. Chelsea? All right. Bro, I sat down in that chair. I was so young. I didn't know anything. And I said, hey, my man, can you give me, uh, can you give me uh, a three on top and a skin fade on the side? You know how I knew I was in for some shit? This man looks at me, you know, typical average white man. Man looks at me and says, sure, what's a, what's a fade? I was like, what? What's like, what? a fade? Oh nah, you you. I was like, mm -mm. I was like, you work. I was like, what, what? Like, well, you were were at one of the most renowned barbershops in New York City. Like, I looked it up. It's a good barbershop, quote unquote. Wait, it's a good barbershop. Not if I have anything to say about it. Here's the thing. I think that in the issue of hair, it's not a racial divisiveness thing, but certain people and certain groups need to get their hair did by the people who understand that hair or have worked with that exactly. hair. Because that's just one of those things. Like, say I, say I got, like, a friend who's, like, French-Canadian, American, something. I wouldn't ask them to cook me a Caribbean dish even if I knew that they were a great chef. Because they just don't know. They don't know the significant differences, right? It's like asking a fish to climb a tree. There was that one time, Gordon Ramsay, it's on camera, it's on film, where he cooks pad thai in Thailand, asks the head chef at that restaurant, how does it look? And the guy looks at him and says, looks good, but this isn't pad thai. <laughs> Damn. Like, exactly. Like one of the most renowned chefs in the no, world. Exactly. Like, listen, nobody is a master of everything, right? And this is not a dig at, like, if you're a hairstylist and you're white. Like, I mean, I'm sure you got chops, you got talent. It's just that if you're a member of, like, like african-american or like hispanic or caribbean communities you can really only trust people within those communities with your hair unless someone's credentials have been otherwise proven precisely like I, the same lady from uh, she's from mexico has been cutting my hair for years i can't trust anybody else with these locks because this is valuable to me that entire conversation that we just had about hairdressers barbers Audience, I would just like to poke you in the direction of, again, I'm going to try and do this at least once an episode, opening your mind to something that you may have never thought about before. 
that conversation that we just had about hairdressers and barbers, think about that, that exact conversation. Rewind it if you have to. But instead, replace the word hairdresser with doctor. Replace the word hairdresser with social worker. Absolutely. Replace the word hairdresser with government official. You know, you see what I'm trying to get at. But this this isn't just an issue of, of hair, which we can make jokes about. But racial medical bias is a real thing. And you should look into it and learn more about it. Very true, man. It's something that's so often overlooked. You don't get that representation because this... You just made the perfect analogy, honestly, because there's significant differences that you have to begin to understand about different cultural groups. You can sit down and read and have conversations with people of different groups, but I think it's also really valuable that members of these communities place themselves in certain roles in the world instead of just sticking to like the same things or saying like, oh, like... I'm Caribbean. I can't be a psychologist. Like, nonsense. You can do anything you set your mind to. You just have to choose to do it and be passionate about Mm -hmm. it so that your heart's in it. If we had more representation in certain groups, if we had more Caribbean uh, social workers, like healthcare workers, if we had more like African-American psychologists, school teachers, you would create a greater representation. Their unique perspectives would be presented to the people they interact with. And if there's someone that they interact with, like for me, I didn't have any teachers who were Caribbean. So I never had anybody who I could level with. A good thing to connect it with right now is I got um, my younger cousin. He, uh, he's graduating high school this year. Great kid. He said he had a Haitian teacher one time and he goes to school on like the North shore of Long Island, right? So it's, it's like a white dominated space. There's like just a lot of white people he was one of the few members of uh, the class who were like people of color. And he told me this story where one time a few white um, students were like arguing and like cursing at each other a lot and talking about how like they had some disrespectful business with their mother or something in class. Right. And my cousin said he made eye contact with the teacher, looked at him and they were both shaking their head. And he said, my teacher said to me, Oh Nicholas, if only they knew what we go through. <laughs> Cause it's like, and having moments like that where someone looks to your side and, and it says to you, like, nah, like, I'm seeing this too, man. You're not taking crazy pills. Like, people really behave this way. It's important. Having someone who can share That's, your perspective in life, no matter what the situation, is very important. And it's especially important in things like mental health and health care. I don't care, you know, where you are in the U.S., what you're doing. But to bring it all the way back to basically the beginning of the episode... Harrison, you mentioned the concept of unspoken social contracts. If a white person is acting up, it is almost a social contract to find the other peoples of colors in the room. Oh, my God. And to make eye contact with them and give them that nod. You, just, you nod. Like, yo, you see, yo, you see you this, this? Like, <laughs> It's usually like a glance and like my eyes widen like, oh, that person just did something that's incomprehensible <laughs> to me. <laughs> you too? I'll give you the perfect example because this has happened so many times in my life. If I'm in public and I'll see like someone is like verbally assailing their like elder, maybe it's their parent or something, and they're just cursing them out. That is incomprehensible to me. As a member of the Caribbean community, godlike respect is expected from you <laughs> towards your birth givers. And if you oh, only yeah. said anything out off color to them, 
You'd probably get like a slap in the face immediately, followed by more blows. If I looked at my parents wrong after they said something to me, I I get licks. Get licks. Yeah. That's it. No, you're not even exaggerating. If you just looked at them wrong, it would be some kind of a problem. And it's <laughs> it's you're so right about that. I think that's something any person of color can resonate with. As weird as that sounds, if you you just gotta look at your other members of the community to be like, hey, what's happening? <laughs> in a way. I feel like that's our human instinct to seek out members of our tribe. I'm obviously making a a gross oversimplification, right? But you relate to people who are similar to you, so you confide in them. And that's like a survival pattern, right? Like, I trust the people who are similar to me. They're part of my group. So that's why we usually don't break away from the patterns that we're exposed to in our life. And our human instinct to recognize patterns to build off of that is a kind of a survival trait. In a really simple way, by observing the patterns of like other people or even the world around you, it helped like our ancestors to survive and continue to live and thrive and whatnot. You would really only ever trust your own tribe, so to speak, in a uh, tribal tribalism sense of how humanity used to be. And that's why people are so scared to trust like other people's or were scared to trust other people's rather. That's why you'll, you've seen things like genocides being normalized and just people don't really care. But I think at the point in history that we're at now, we cannot attribute tribalism to be internally consistent with racism because we're so past that conversation has moved on. In fact, it probably never was the case. You trust the members of your community. Like, I, I'm quicker to trust a member of the colored community almost by instinct because I know they can relate to me more and I can confide more things into them. That isn't to say I don't trust people who are not from similar cultural backgrounds of me. As a matter of fact, some of the people that I trust the most in my life are from completely different cultural backgrounds of me. But that's because I took the time to get to know them. Right? right? Usually in a snap decision, or you're just in public or something, you don't have time to get to know somebody. So, you would usually look at someone and trust them or make a quick decision based on what they look like. We need to step away from that, because that's caustic. That is what leads to, like, in the negative sense of it, of course, that's what leads to people being discriminatory. That's what leads to, like, racial profiling with law enforcement and whatnot, where there are reasons why being able to profile someone could be useful, but far too often is it used to negatively frame somebody, where you see this all the time. Why in news reports and cover photos do we use a mugshot or an unflattering picture of a African-American person, but at oftentimes, if it was like a white person who committed a crime, it's like their most popular Facebook picture. We need to stop making assumptions. We need to stop just deciding we got to display black people like this. We got to display white people like that. Let's just treat each other like humans. Keep shit objective. Abandon the emotiveness. And, and just if it's a matter of facts, let's stick to the facts and like separate the emotions and your internally consistent racism narrative 
and just get it out of there. I love that. And I will touch upon and hopefully tie this whole thing together. So I have two anecdotes, two stories of times where I actually saw, you know, specifically Guyanese tribalism in a very positive aspect to the point where it benefited my life. The first one being my parents switched accountants. They had, uh, you know, a white accountant first. Um, they didn't like the way he was performing or whatever it was. So they got a recommendation from someone in the family for an accountant of Guyanese descent and spoke with him. And I wanted to know, you know, what he does and how he got in touch with my dad. And he's, he sat me down basically and said, you know, Nick, I came to America probably the same time around your dad did. You know, I had, I have a thing with numbers. I really like numbers. He specifically said, I try to only take on clients who are from Guyana or the Caribbean. And I said, wow. I was like, why, why is that? Like, why do you do that? And he said, that's my family. That's his way of keeping the bond strong, so to speak. Keep the bond strong, keep the bond alive. Yeah. But also just to go off it a little bit more, when my dad immigrated to this country, he came over with one friend and they knew fucking nobody. So to be able to come to this country now, say you're immigrating from Guyana now, there's a whole network of people that my dad can rely on. If our boiler were to break down again, he has one of his friends who specializes in plumbing. If his, you know, if his books need to be cooked, he has a Guyanese accountant. Wait a minute. <laughs> if something is wrong with somebody's car, recall, you know who we're calling Harrison. It's not my dad. We're calling Bowie. Calling our Uncle Bowie. Like the man, man knows how to work a car. You, what you're saying is important because you have to understand when people of a certain ethnic or cultural group decide that they want to support business of their group, it's not necessarily or even usually out of a point of racism. It's not that they don't trust people who are not within their culture, who are just as capable or qualified in the job. It's that when you're part of a small cultural group, you feel that you need to keep that connection. You need to give them that business from you. Because like we said before about how there's not a high concentration of doctors, psychologists, social workers of different cultural groups who can relate to people. There isn't, there aren't that many people of the Caribbean descent who are in these businesses mm -hmm. of almost any type because the Caribbean is a very small place, relatively speaking, compared to how big America is. So we do business with our groups like this to keep that bond alive and to show support for the fact that someone is doing it. And you see this with other cultural groups too. Like I know people who are like Italian, they'll only trust like other Italians. People who are Jewish, they will only mm -hmm. do business with other Jewish people. And they do this as a point of supporting their communities. It's not because they don't trust others, really. It's because they want to support their people. And I think that is a good thing if it's done the correct way. The second one I wanted to get into was someone that, I had never met before. I'm in, I was in Orlando for a work trip. I'm with one of the presidents of my company and we just had, I believe we just had dinner with a client. We're on our way either to the hotel or to do some gambling or blah, 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 blah. And we get into this, either a taxi or an Uber and no, it must've been a taxi. Cause the guy turned around and said, is where you're going. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, you're from Guyana. Oh, you're from the islands, huh? No, I, sa I said, you're from Guyana. He's like, 
Hey, bye. <laughs> this is how you know. And my, my president's looking at me and everything. And I was just like, I, I just heard it. I was like, I heard it in your voice. He's like, yeah, 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 I came up here a couple of years ago. I was like, wow. Never in my life have I ever sniped someone for being From Guyanese. Guyanese. Yeah, you could tell. So quickly. Like, I, yeah, keep in mind, I'm a little drunk. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not really paying attention. You know, was, uh, like the taxi driver was asking us where to go. And then I just hear his accent. I'm like, wait, oh. oh. You're from where I'm. You're from where my family's exactly. from. Exactly. He's like, yeah. It's a moment of solidarity. <laughs> to go off that last point that you just said, Harrison, I didn't do it. I made my president tip him like a hundred dollars. I was like, yo, I'll pay you back. <laughs> I like how you definitely <laughs> weren't going in your pocket for that. It's like, yo, listen, like no, respect, brother. What? But I don't know. Bread's kind of short. <laughs> <laughs> Bread's kind of short, but let me get it from from this guy. Yo, yeah. Right. Right on. That was you know, it's a half a joke, but like that. The point still remains. Is like, yo, he's from. My country, I had never seen some shit like that Exactly. Before. If I can support you in any way, I'm going to support you. To get this into like a larger scope, I think that especially in the United States right now, the African-American community now more than ever needs to support one another. Support black-owned business. Yes. Support independent black artists. Like, do what you can because this is how we build that up in that larger sense and get you up from off of the ground that you've been pushed down to for so long for too long and like as members of the caribbean community like i know that the name of our podcast is brown not black but one of my friends said this to me when i had asked him his opinion about our podcast name he's just like yeah like and and the conversation flowed for a while he's just like the thing about calling someone black in america is Black is just a fluid term. It doesn't mean anything necessarily. It's just a way of classifying a large group of people all at once. And in that way, I think it's wow. it's kind of disingenuous because it ignores like your significant cultural background. But I do understand the position and utility of calling someone black. That's why we've been called black a lot of times in our life and that's why we made this yeah. podcast because we're just like there is a distinction out there right it's an easy way to to categorize these people it's an easy way to categorize any person of color that i want to say that is what black meant in america as especially as of recent i think and this may be a totally biased thing but from the friends that i have been speaking to that are you know certifiably you know african-american haitian-american like very you know dark skin light skin but they yeah. they classify themselves as black black does not mean that anymore the rec it's the same thing with with the n-word it's the reclamation of the word and i think we're in the middle of that right now and part of that is actually this again this podcast brown question mark not black question mark challenging the way we've looked at it in the past and deciding where we're going in the future right we are specifically brown not black but in the larger sense right because black is a fluid term we are also black but we aren't because what is black like what is black like let's sit down and what define is, that shit like that? i'm not saying we define it right now but cuz i think we already just kind of did we said it's fluid it's just black is a color. It's a color I like to wear a lot. But it's not an entire group. Like, it's not my cultural background, you know? My cultural background is what we just talked about for an hour. We've talked about a lot today. 
it's been a great conversation with you, Harrison. I, I'm very excited to do... This is only episode three, and we've discussed all of this. This is absolutely incredible. I can't wait to do more of these episodes because I, truthfully, in these last, uh, in this last hour, these last 90 minutes, I have learned so much about myself just by discussing these things with you because that's the reason we started the podcast, right? No one else... We had no one else to talk about yeah, this stuff. We with. have to use our voice because... We no one else wants to talk about it, so we did it, and now it's everyone else's problem. Yeah, listeners, you're still here. We love you. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of the Brown Not Black podcast. As you know, the best way to reach us: Brown Not Black Pod at Gmail dot com. I do want to say, if you have questions, if you have topics, if you have anything that any comments at all. I would love, truthfully love to hear them. I think Harrison would as well. We'd love to discuss them on the next episode. Absolutely. Viewer feedback is appreciated. That would be tight. We could like even make it a segment if we get enough questions. You know what I did? I do have to apologize. I did. This got brought up to me by someone who listened to the last podcast. I did say something derogatory in the way that I spoke about the caste system in terms of being lower level in the U.S. You get what you get. Interesting. And that could be seen as derogatory to certain groups of people. And so I do want to apologize for that. But that right there is is the type of feedback that we want. That experience helps me. I won't make that mistake again. So anything like that at all, we're more than happy to hear it from you. For example, if you are the child of an immigrant, if you're an immigrant, we want to hear your experiences as well. And I was joking last episode, but I we would love to have more guests on this podcast, no? I would love to have more guests on this podcast. Absolutely. So I think we'll have we'll try to get a guest on here next week. Maybe we'll have a Kosh back. I love I love picking a Kosh's brain about these, you know, different topics. I absolutely think that as far as you you catching yourself or someone calling you out rather on um the sensitive nature of what you said we do kind of ride the razor's edge on the things we talk about because although they are deeply personal to us, we completely understand every time we get on the mic that what we're saying is it's political because it is our skin color and our skin color is politicized. So, you know, if we do slip up, pull our collars, just say like, yo, what you said about that was actually untrue or I don't think that it was a good representation. and. You know, we want to learn just like we want to help everyone else learn too. Exactly. You said it right there. We want to learn. That's why we're here. We're just, look, Harrison had Wikipedia open at the beginning of this episode. We don't know everything. It's that simple. We're here to learn. We're here to discuss this. It's an open conversation. Please reach out to us. Brownnotblackpod at gmail.com. I think that's that. Once again, I'm your co-host, Nick. Harrison, if you have any closing statements, I'm a little nervous, but I'd love to hear them. To quote William Shakespeare, whatever. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> William Shakespeare he... <laughs> was the first guy to ever say whatever. Yeah. No, look it up. Right. Uh, yeah. What? Anyway. <laughs> It's been real. I love being on this podcast. I can't wait to keep making more episodes. We love every one of our viewers in a platonic way, though. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have asked you that. <laughs>